Well, uh, we've <laughs> we were going to spend around about 10 weeks in Philippines. We spent 26. Um, so that was a little bit longer than was planned, to say the least. Uh, we're starting a new series, and uh, we're, we've entitled this series The Seven Deadly Sin- Sins. I don't think even I could manage to get 26 out of seven deadly sins, so we are definitely going to be uh, a whole lot shorter. Um, sin is uh, an interesting word, isn't it? It's a word which is, uh, I guess for many of us, uh, we might think of it as a bit of a, an antiquated word or a Bible word, uh, a word which um, brings pressure and demands and uh, maybe irrelevance to us. Maybe we just feel it's irrelevant uh, because it's such a, a word from the Bible and from the past at the same time. I think it's fascinating that uh, sin is used in so many ways outside of the church. It's, it's all over the place. It's an idea and it's a thought which is uh, everything from something like uh, the film Seven, which uh, deals with, well, it's a, a serial killer who's killing uh, one by one, uh, following the pattern of the seven deadly sins, and uh, if that's not giving away the storyline, uh, that's you can you know I've not spo- that's not a spoiler to know that right the way through to uh, Magnum ice cream that a few years ago were advertising their ice creams along the theme of the seven deadly sins. Uh, the seven deadly sins is a bit of a historic thing, um, which we'll work through that. But I want this afternoon just to start to introduce uh, the dirty business of sin. The dirty business of sin. Let's begin to get our minds around it. And I guess because sin is featuring in, in movies and in advertising, and it's certainly prominent in the Bible, it's not a bad thing to get it on the agenda. The Bible makes it such a big thing. Let's not shy away from it. Let's be upfront about it and let's deal with it. We live in a world, don't we, where uh, we are certainly experiencing on a day-to-day basis the effects and the challenges and the pain and the dilemma of sin. It's all around us. We are challenged with behaviour. If you look at any political campaign, uh, two of the prominent areas that are featured again and again, law and order and education, you might say, well, where are they connected? Well, um, I I guess that pretty much any teacher will say that the reality is that the issues of teaching today are... A significant part of that is dealing with challenging behaviours and irresponsible behaviours and downright wrong behaviour. What is happening to our society? What's happening to the world that we live in? And, And is sin, and is the biblical idea of sin, something that might help us to to come to terms with what was going on, to to address in our own lives what is going on, and at least to begin to understand it. 
I guess when we use the word sin in the context of day-to-day life, a lot of people uh, steer away from it because we immediately have our religious bigotry uh, radar going off and we feel that this is something which is imposing and it's making demands on us and it's, it's making constraints around us. You know what? That is not a new thing. And... Um, well, we're going to be looking at a little bit of that on Tuesday evening. It will be helpful. But just to, just to remind ourselves, uh, historically it's not a new thing to think in that way. We all know the reputation of the kind of prudish Victorian era. Well, post-Victorian era, there was a real backlash against that sort of Victorian prudishness. Massive backlash, not just... Uh, a kind of popular cultural backlash. There was an intellectual backlash. Uh, many, of the, many of the great thinkers of the day were beginning to think and write and encourage us to say, do you know what? True freedom, true happiness, true liberty is rejecting those prudish, constraining thoughts and moving towards freedom and liberty. H.G. Wells, the, the author, um, he was, uh, you know him perhaps, writer of The Time Machine and uh, War of the Worlds, uh, two, two of his uh, most well-known pieces of work. Uh, he significantly developed this idea, he latched on to the idea of creating a new society along with other thinkers, this new society based on humanistic reason and logic and, uh, and if we really pursued this new society, everything would increasingly improve. If we really went for it, reject all of those constraining religious things, and let's go for this new society, and if we really pursue it, we're aiming for what was coined at the time, utopia. We'll aim for utopia. H.G. Wells was writing from around about 1890 through till about 1920, something like that. And this idea was growing and developing, this idea of humanistic reason and freedom and liberty. I want to ask you a question. A century later, how successful do you really think it's been? Now, I, listen to me carefully here. I am not saying that that horrible religious uh, imposition is any better. But I am saying that the idea of striving for some kind of utopia just hasn't worked, has it? It just hasn't worked. Where are we now? We've now spent the best part of 90 years increasingly rejecting and finding ourselves increasingly in difficulty. The 20th century was the bloodiest century in living history. And I agree with you completely if you say, you know, the Christian faith down through the years has, been, uh, the, uh, has, has blood on its hands. I agree, yes, it has. 
But I would also say that those humanistic ideals of communism and socialism uh, has blood on its hands as well. It has not worked, has it? Where are we now? And, And is there a possibility that rather than grabbing hold of the the kind of pendulum swing, so this hasn't worked so well, swing all the way back and and grab a hold of that old, ancient, uh, Victorian, um, kind of oppressive, legalistic kind of mindset, is the Bible saying something else. Well, this uh, little cameo that we have before us this afternoon, I think can give us some introductory thoughts on the issue of sin. We find ourselves here. Jesus um, goes up to the Mount of Olives and then early in the morning he goes into the temple. And uh, as he sat down, he's teaching, some of the religious leaders bring this woman. I can imagine, can you imagine the scene? Just imagine the scene. You know, we read it and it's just part of the Bible. Just imagine uh, what it must have been like for the actual moment to have taken place. Jesus is there in the temple in what would have been considered um, a a religious place. Uh, It would have been surrounded by people who would consider themselves to be uh, good, wholesome people. And then suddenly there is this eruption as this woman, I would imagine, is dragged in front of Jesus. She's brought before him and uh, the religious leaders say to Jesus on the basis of trying to to trick him or to, to put him in a corner or to challenge him. They say to him, right, here's the issue. If we can get that text up on the screen to do that would be good. Uh, here's the issue. Here's this woman. She's been caught in adultery. What do we do? She'd been caught in adultery, placing her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? Stone such women. What do you say? This woman has been caught in adultery. Now let's stone her. Is that what? Do you agree with that, Jesus? How does that make you feel? How does that make you feel, those words? Because what they are quoting is the Bible. <laughs> They're saying, look, here's the reality. Here's the, what's said back in the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. That's what it says. And on the basis of the historic law, this woman is brought before Jesus. And, it's, and, and they, now what are you going to do, Jesus? And at that point in the 21st century, I think many of us here might think, mm, this is just getting too difficult. I, I find it really difficult that the Bible writes about the idea that people who have done something like this 
might be stoned. I'm going to say to you, please, just, just let me hope. Stick with me, okay? Stick with me through these next few stepping stones. Just stick with it. Because I think the opening phrase that I would just want us to grab a hold of is it, it really displays this, doesn't it? In Bible terms, sin is serious, isn't it? If, if God is writing back in the Old Testament that the idea that, that if somebody does something like this, then the result is death, then that's serious. He should be dead. She should be dead because she's done that. Now, just before we get too far along the line, I actually think, in lots of ways, we not only think like the Bible, but we act like the Bible, without even realising it. Here's the thing. I, I know, and you know, that when things like this go on, does it cause real pain? Does it cause real hurt? Is this a real crisis in life for people? Absolutely. Is it serious? Now, uh, when we are on the receiving end, do we often actually live like he or she is now dead? We live like they're dead. We, we, we don't want anything to do with them. We treat them as though they're not part of my life anymore. This has gone on. This is a terrible thing. Uh, and I am now going to treat you as if you are dead. Just out. I'm not going to speak to you. Uh, how many cases are there of situations like this? Not just adultery, but, you know, serious, serious uh, breaches of trust where somebody has... Has, has attacked somebody or, or done physical da da damage to somebody or just been horrendous to somebody and somebody takes, takes the law in their own hands and just says, right, I'm going to deal with this and, and they, they finish them off. A response. Because, because somewhere deep down we're saying, do you know what? I, I might not like the way the Bible describes things but the reality is I know that real wrong is real serious. It is real serious. It is not just a light thing. And sometimes things are so bad, I want them dead. And sometimes I feel as though wrong is so wrong that they really ought to be dead. Now one of the things that I would just want to, you know, here's the stepping stones... Here's the stepping stones. I think in the history of the world, God is trying to communicate to us, sin is that serious. Now, it might take centuries of him communicating, you know what, if that happens, that's what needs to be done. It might take centuries of, of 
living in this world and saying when that happens, that is the outcome. Because the reality is that is what it deserves. It deserves significant response. Sin is not an easy, light thing. I was listening to um, I was listening to Lady Gaga being interviewed the other day, and uh, she said this. I found it amazing. Uh, somebody said, you, you, "You've got uh, it's ten million followers or seven million followers on Twitter. You, you are the most followed person now on Twitter." She said this. I believe that if you have revolutionary potential. You have a moral obligation to make the world a better place. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Lady Gaga, she has a moral obligation to make the world a better place. Um, Really? really, You really believe that? You really believe that the things that you are doing, the, the, the way you are projecting... Uh, relationship, the way you are projecting womanhood and manhood, the way you are projecting life, you really believe that if you have revolutionary potential, the way that you are communicating is making the world a better place? Now, do we believe that in the broken, destroyed, shattered state of this world, God has revolutionary potential? Can he create a revolution in this world for good? Does he have the mercy and the grace to do so? You know where that starts? It starts by telling the truth. It starts by telling the truth. It starts by the reality. You need to understand how bad this is. You need to understand maybe by my communicating to you laws that indicate to you that the seriousness of broken relationships will result in death. And that is the the responsibility uh, of those who who live in that way. You will be killed because of it. Do you realise how serious this is? Now... Our God, according to the Bible, is so merciful and gracious that he is willing to take humanity on a journey of saying this is how it is. I really need to say, sin is a dirty, bloody business. It is. And it will cause the death of many people. To communicate to this world how serious it is. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say it again. Stick with me. Stick with me on this journey. Because the good news there is that God intervenes. God intervenes in the crisis of sin in this world. And he intervenes by saying honestly where we are. And he did it right the way through the New Ta- through the Old Testament. You know, all those times where we think, oh, I find that really difficult. Because it says, 
you're now going to get stoned because of X, Y, Z. That's grace. Because God is saying to the whole of this world, that's how bad it is. God intervenes. Stick with me. Because the next stage is this. In this little story, God reveals the sinners. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? Who's the sinner? She's just been dragged in, hasn't she? She's just been dragged in. In front of everybody. Uh, we don't know the whole story. There have been those who have suggested that it might have been a setup, etc., etc. Look, the Bible, we're reading here that she's been caught in adultery. And Jesus doesn't challenge that idea. She's dragged in in front of everybody. And the response is, what are you going to do about it, Jesus? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. That's, um, I, I understand that this is where we get the idea where you draw a line in the sand. Somebody has said that, I don't know whether it's true. But uh, it kind of makes sense as we see this idea developing. And then he stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Where's Jesus, why is Jesus saying that? Well, actually, he's responding to them. They're bringing the law to him and saying, Look, this is what Moses says. Moses says that anybody who uh, has been committed adultery should be stoned. That's what the law says. Now, what are you saying, Jesus? Jesus is saying, well, let's, let's have a look. What does it say in the law? Uh, the hand of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death. And afterwards, the hand of all the people. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. It is that serious. But the person who picks up the first stone... Is the witness. What is a witness in that context? It is the person who is able to say. They are guilty. I stand here and by observation. They are guilty. I stand as a witness. And I'm prepared to put my, uh, put my reputation on the line. You can challenge me. But I will stand here as a witness. And I will say that is true. And I'll say it's true by being prepared to throw the first stone. What does Jesus ask? He doesn't say, uh, who's the witness to this? Cast the first stone. He makes a much bigger challenge, doesn't he? Look at what he says. Whoever among you Anyone in this, in this portico, anyone in this area of the temple, anyone who's listening to this conversation right now, Jesus says, any of you here who has never sinned, feel free to pick up a stone and throw it. Be the first. See what Jesus is saying? 
What does that do? What's the response to that? (laughs) I I think it's just a bit of a social picture that goes on. Uh, The way people behave, what happens. Uh, The hot-headed younger people hang around for longer. The wiser older people, they immediately start walking away. You know, the wiser, older ones have been around long enough to hear what's being said and say, hey, yeah, you know what? I've been around long enough. He's right. I know the reality, and so we read there this lovely little picture uh, that the older ones drift away one by one. They start to disappear. The younger ones hang around for a while, you know, kind of pushing maybe, seeing if somebody will do it. But finally, they have to admit as well. What is being admitted and what is Jesus doing? Because I think that this is one of the most wonderful aspects of the whole of this journey of our understanding of sin. It's wonderful. Jesus says, okay, here's a woman who is caught in, 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 a, in a sin which according to the Old Testament is a sin which will result in death. And then he says, now, let me make a comparison. Let me put you all on the same level playing field. Anyone who has never sinned, pick up a stone. What's he doing? He's revealing that for every single one of us, we are accountable before God and we are guilty. I am. That's what the older people knew first and it's what the younger people finally accepted. And they walked away without picking up a stone. And in that moment and with that one sentence... Jesus revealed in that building at that moment in time, he revealed, he exposed the sinners. Who were they? Everyone. Everyone. Everyone is there and everybody is saying, yeah, that is me. I am. The, the, the band, the All-American Rejects, did a song called Dirty Little Secret. And uh, if you've seen the video, it's a, it's a fantastic video where one by one these uh, postcards or cards are being held up by the, by the uh, people who are appearing in the video with, with their secret sin. The thing that is written down but not spoken out, I think, is the idea that's there. I, I'm, I'm not prepared to say it, but here's the secret. <laughs> And you know what Jesus does there? He exposes every little secret. It's as though Jesus is looking into the eyes of everybody in that building at that time and saying, do you know what? I know. I know your secret. And you can't hide it from me. And I think that that is the impact that Jesus had at that moment in time. He had that impact. He had the kind of authority that meant that people were not challenging that idea. When he said it, it burned into them and they became convinced of it. And they said, you know what, at this moment in time, it's true. I'm going to walk away. Jesus 
revealed the sinners. And this is why I want you to stick with me. Because isn't it so often, if you like, the pompous religious? The kind of holier than thou. The I'm better than everybody else that just twists and perverts the real message of the Bible. It is just these people that Jesus is challenging. Over in, um, in Seattle, either today, this morning or this afternoon, it's been, it's been blogged. Mark Driscoll's church is being picketed by Westboro Baptist Church. If you know anything about Westboro Baptist Church, that's that little crazy group run by Phelps who, who go around and they, they picket um, uh, the funerals of, of serving soldiers and, and they, they, they've decided that, uh, filled with hate, they've decided to uh, picket Mark Driscoll's church because he preaches that God loves this world. I think it's great, isn't it, when a church is known to be conveying that God loves this world and sent his one and only son. That's what the Bible says. And if people, religious elite, kind of pompous people, just like these, are bent out of shape because of it, don't like it, well, maybe it's a picture of how so many people think. So when the Bible says... You know, somebody who's caught in sin, it's a stoning offence. Listen to what the whole of the Bible says. Don't just stop there and say, I can't take that, because that is part of the process of bringing us to the point where Jesus says, now, here's the next bit of God's revelation to us. That I know that it's that bad, but... Anyone who has never sinned is in the same place as this person. Now, what happens next? Because if, if that understanding is the great first step, what is the next step? What is the next step in this? It's this. In the face of the reality of sin, in everybody there, this tear-stained woman is alone with Jesus. He was the one in the whole of that building. He is the only one in the whole of that building who had the right to pick up a stone. He could have. Because he was without sin. Because he was a witness. He could have been the first to pick up a stone. But when that tear-stained woman is in front of Jesus, caught in sin, face to face with him, what does he say? Neither do I condemn you. Do you know what? That is the outcome of what goes on in the Old Testament. Where God is saying it is that bad. But I am going to break in. And I am going to come to you. 
And I am going to say, even though everybody else might condemn you, everybody around you might be able to say, guilty, 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 we've seen you, we've caught you, we've got you, you are guilty, I'll come in, and I am the one who's witness to everything, but I'm able to say, neither do I condemn you. Is that great news? Neither do I condemn you. It is the best, I think probably one of the best lines in the Bible for people who know the reality of themselves. I just look at it and I think, all of you people who walked away because Jesus made you realize the reality of what's going on, if you'd have hung around, you'd have heard the best line. You'd have heard a great line. Neither do I condemn you. You know what happens? That is exactly what happens when God really, really breaks it. This woman, she's in that situation there. Suddenly she is, her life is transformed. She is no longer standing in front of the one person who could judge her, even though he does judge her, he says, go and do not, don't sin anymore. He says, you know, the reality is, I know that you are wrong. I know that you are a sinner. I'm not uh, condemning you. Now go and live differently. Go and live differently. But it starts with me being your saviour. You see that? Here's this woman brought in front of Jesus. Is she guilty? Oh yes, she's guilty. She's about to die. And Jesus saves her. Now, in a remarkable kind of fulfillment of this, this kind of behaviour... This kind of opposition to the religious elite is precisely what got Jesus killed. Precisely because he stood in her place, stood in front of those accusers and said, Whoa, I will stand, figuratively speaking, between you and this woman behind me. I will stand in the place of the potential stones. I'll stand in the breach. If you're without sin, cast a stone. And then he turns and he speaks to her and he says, I don't condemn you. Go and, go and sin no more. Go and live life differently. And it's precisely that standing in the place that gets Jesus killed. She lives and he dies. That is the gospel. Jesus dies and she lives. But it also, doesn't it? Doesn't it give us a springboard actually for Tuesday as well? She's saved. She is saved. And then Jesus says, go and live differently. Do you get that? As long as you live your life saying, I've got to live good enough for Jesus. 
You don't understand. You haven't grasped yet what real salvation is. You are saved. He saved you if you put your trust in him. He has already stood in the place of the stones raining in. He's already stood condemned. And he says, now because I have saved you, go and live differently. I reckon for that woman, there's various traditions around this woman. I reckon for that particular woman, her life was changed. Her life was changed. She, she went away from there and every time she's faced with an issue, I wouldn't, she will have carried on and done stuff that she shouldn't have done. I know that. I'm not saying she was perfect from there on. But what I am saying is that that moment will have marked her. It will have so shaken her view of life and the world and her relationship with Jesus that it will have marked her for the rest of her life. That is what grace does. It's what grace does. It marks us. It marks us so that we are continually shaped by that. I, look what I have received. How can I do anything but live differently? Sin is a dirty business. God makes it really clear that sin is a dirty business. Right the way through the Old Testament, he continually makes it clear how bad it is. But it makes sense of Jesus. Jesus comes in and he says, neither do I condemn you. I hope that over the next period of time as we start to work through this, that we are able to see in greater depth the power of Jesus saying, neither do I condemn you.